0: Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. Two investor resolutions at BP's annual meeting in Aberdeen this week showed how pressure is building on oil companies to take action on climate change. Polita Clark discusses how the oil companies are responding with Anjali Raval and Leslie Hook.
1: The transition must happen and is already underway. Billions of people around the world need more energy to improve their lives. At the same time, carbon emissions need to come down at a much faster pace than we see today. More energy with fewer emissions, that
2: is the new challenge.
0: That was Helga Lund, the chairman of BP, outlining the company's commitment to transitioning to a low-carbon energy system at their AGM in Aberdeen this week. Shareholders had two climate change resolutions to vote on in Aberdeen. Angela, you were up there. What happened? So everyone was waiting
2: for these two resolutions to come up for debate. Now, one was backed by BP and brought forward by Climate Action 100+, which is an initiative led by a group of investors, and they were calling on BP to demonstrate how its business strategy aligns with the Paris Climate Goals. And now the second resolution was proposed by Follow This, a Dutch shareholder group. And essentially this one was different because not only was it calling on BP to set targets for its carbon emissions going forward, but these targets also should include those of its products, so essentially the emissions of its consumers.
0: And that's essentially what Shell has done. That's what Shell has agreed to do. Right. But in this case, BP management backed the Climate Action 100 plus resolution, but not the other one. Why was that? BP claims that the
2: follow this resolution would not allow for flexibility through the energy transition. They say, we don't know what this energy transition is going to look like. We don't want to put hard targets that are legally binding on ourselves or on our consumers whose use of our products we can't control. That's what they say. And does that sound like a reasonable explanation to you? So this is where it gets very interesting because most climate activists and increasingly investors say that these emissions from the use of the products are essential to accounting for how we really progress through this energy transition. And oil and gas companies must be held accountable for these emissions. Now, I do have some sympathy for oil and gas companies in the sense that they don't know what this energy transition looks like. However, most people I speak to think that BP right now is in the same position that Shell was in a few years ago. And at some point, they too will also have to include these emissions in some way into their forward planning. Leslie, do you have any sympathy with BP's position? I don't know about sympathy, but I
1: think it is hard to account for the emissions of your consumer. So I can see the sort of legality of that narrow argument I think what's been really interesting, though, is something that Anjali's actually written about, which is where the R&D dollars are going for these companies. Although BP has started talking a lot more about climate change, and they've certainly made it a sort of headline item on their agenda, their R&D spending hasn't really followed those words.
2: Yes, exactly. And even in the opinion piece that Helga Lund wrote in the FT and in his public comments, you know, he's very clear that BP is also going to have to transform its business. But what does this look like? It's unbelievably murky. We have no idea. Is he talking about increasing R&D spend into low carbon fuels and technologies? Is he talking about shifting towards renewables? It's not entirely clear what this means in the BP context. And this is what investors really are trying to gain some more clarity on. A lot of these investor discussions with the companies have essentially been company led. It's what the companies are comfortable with talking about. BP is not committing to a particular direction. They say, we've been there before. Under the John Brown era of... Beyond Petroleum. Beyond Petroleum, they invested huge amounts in renewables and they ended up losing a lot of money. And so this was the point that Helgeland made at the AGM as well as in the opinion piece, which is that we want to be an investable company. And I think that was his way of saying, we need to keep on investing in oil and gas. And there is a real dichotomy
1: there because ultimately BP makes money from selling fossil fuels that causes emissions and they don't really know how they will make money if they stop doing that. So I sort of get the sense that while there's a lot more talk about it, there's not a clear answer of where their revenue is going to come from if they're no longer selling fossil fuels.
2: On the other hand, you've got companies like Shell and Total, You know, they're really going out there saying we're investing in not just gas, but renewables and renewable power. And this is our future. But most analysts who look at the sector and even the executives themselves will say to you, look, the margins here are incredibly low compared to our historic and traditional businesses. But also, we don't really know what this is going to look like for us. Mm. And this is the point BP is trying to make, which is we're not going to go down that path blindly again, just taking a punt under huge amounts of pressure from everybody in terms of climate activists and the investors who want this investment into the cleaner fuels business and into renewables. I mean, Greenpeace this week blockaded BP's entrances.
0: I was going to ask you about that. It was quite an extraordinary bit of action, even for Greenpeace, because they actually stopped staff going into BP headquarters in London. Where It's quite interesting to compare that to the Shell AGM, which was happening on the same day, over in The Hague, and uh, apparently there were very few protests or any sort of action going on over there, certainly nothing like staff being stopped from getting into buildings and things. And do you think that that's because Shell has been clearer about its determination to invest in renewables and lower carbon forms of energy than BP so far? And do you think that BP is worried about that and that's why it took the steps that it did this week?
2: I think BP is just at a different point than Shell. Shell faced this kind of backlash a few years ago. Let's also remember that Shell is very much a Dutch company and there's huge amounts of domestic pressure. And this is now only ricocheting around the world, you know, to other European companies as well as US counterparts. But, you know, those protesters this week were saying to BP, you must shift all your investment into renewables or go bust but it's not entirely clear if that's a profitable strategy.
0: Yeah. And this is just the latest example we've seen of shareholders trying to pressure oil and gas companies and indeed coal companies to disclose more about their future plans and targets and investments and talk more about the financial and physical risks that they might face by climate change. Ultimately, do you really think this is going to shift the dial when it comes to lowering global carbon emissions?
2: So the investors say there's a sort of a three-pronged approach here. The first is to get these companies to be more transparent. Then it's to get them to set targets on their emissions. And then the third bit of this strategy is to shift their investments towards cleaner fuels, cleaner energies, and to really get a handle on the investment component here. But it's not clear to me how long that is going to take. And if these companies are going to agree to shift their businesses in a meaningful way. And there's also, just to play devil's advocate, I think there is a real question
1: about what is the company's responsibility versus the government's responsibility? Where does the role of policymakers end and business leaders begin? I mean, at a time when we're seeing global emissions still rising, the world is not on track to meet the Paris climate goals. A lot of that is due to government inaction as well as what companies are doing. We've seen that globally governments haven't really stepped up to make the types of commitments that they would need to live in a two-degree world, which then sort of empowers the companies to say, well, if the governments haven't figured this out, then why is that our job? So right. I can sort of see their point of view in that way.
2: I would sort of just make two further points, which is that let's be clear that the world is still using huge amounts of oil and gas. We're using you know, 100 million barrels a day of oil alone. So from the company's point of view, if the demand is there, at least for now, why would they pull back? That's the first point. And then the second point is that, you know, to what extent can these companies really transition?
0: Yeah. Just finally, one way that the oil majors are trying to prove that they're serious about climate change is by making these big investments in renewable energy. We saw one of those this week, Leslie, that you wrote about that actually shows that this is getting quite a crowded field. Yes, we've
1: just seen two of Europe's largest utilities, Angers of France and EDP of Portugal, tie up all of their offshore wind assets, which is going to create a bit of an offshore wind behemoth. And already we've seen a former oil and gas company known as Dong become Orsted. It's now the world's largest offshore wind developer. And we do see more and more traditional energy companies try and go that direction. The company formerly known as Statoil, now Equinor, also has a growing offshore wind business. So there is some indication that the traditional energy companies are really pushing in that direction. Although globally last year, what was very striking is that we had some numbers out a couple of days ago from the IEA that suggested total global investment in clean energy, in fact, fell a little bit last year. Despite the surge of interest from European energy groups, the global picture is
0: still not is rosy. Thank you, Leslie and Angelou. That was Polita Clark talking to our senior energy correspondent, Angie Ravel, and environment correspondent, Leslie Hook. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the US's hammer blow to Huawei, the political cost of Pakistan's IMF loan, or the shocking truth about plastics in the world's oceans, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms.